Gracious God and Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. Several years ago, when President Trump was on the campaign trail, uh, he made a comment about 9-11, and he said that in New Jersey, where there's a <clears throat> kind of a large Muslim population in several of the cities there, that there were thousands and thousands of Muslims cheering uh, the attack on America. Now, there's been dispute about that as to how many or if there were any at all. Uh, but one thing is sure and certain. Around the world at 9-11, there were many people celebrating the death of Americans. And it wasn't much different in 2005 when Hurricane Katrina, which I think is still the worst natural disaster ever to strike the United States, there were people in other countries, uh, even England, rejoicing that Americans were dying, rejoicing that Americans were having a bad time, a lot of trouble, death and destruction. And it <clears throat> contradicts the word of God. Solomon wrote in Proverbs, do not rejoice when your enemy fails. Let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased. God loves all people. He does not want any of us to rejoice in the suffering of someone else. When you're outlined for today, Roman numeral number one, joy is offensive. Someone over here is rejoicing. Someone over there is not happy about it. It's just the way it works. Joy is offensive. And what you do or do not celebrate, point A, what you do or do not celebrate reveals a lot about you and where you're at spiritually. In Luke chapter 1, Simeon said to Mary and Joseph, this child, meaning Jesus, is appointed for the fall and for the rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that is spoken against. A sword will pierce your own soul and the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And it's true to this day. Jesus, his presence, his work, his message reveals the thoughts of the heart. Under point B, I have something, I wish I hadn't written this down, undeserving celebrities. That's really not the best illustration. You know, Kim Kardashian, um, Paris Hilton, Kevin Federline, uh, it goes on and on. These people are famous for doing nothing, right? They're famous, for, not because they succeeded in anything in particular, not because they have any um, laudable skills, but simply for getting in front of the camera often enough that we pay attention to them. Well, that's offensive. It's offensive to me, I don't know about you. But, but a better example would be James chapter one, verse two, where James writes these words, count it all joy, brothers, when you encounter various trials. Now that's a good example of offensive joy because I promise you, 
If you go to someone who's experiencing extreme difficulty, illness of some sort, maybe they've lost a loved one, and you go up to them and you say, count it all joy, it's almost certain they will take offense at what you say. Even though what you say is true, that kind of joy strikes people as offensive. And that's the point. In our gospel lesson for today, Jesus is welcoming sinners to a meal. And the wording in the Greek leads you to believe that he's sponsoring the party. He's actually the host. He's actually putting it on. And the Pharisees are seeing this, and they're grumbling, and they're angry. They take offense at this celebration. That's in verses 1 and 2. They take offense. Roman numeral 2 in the outline, joy results from the presence and the actions of Jesus. The presence of Jesus and the actions of Jesus. It's interesting, after uh, the Virgin Mary receives the announcement from the angel that she will be the mother of the Lord, she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth in the hill country of Judea. And as she approaches, now she's pregnant with our Lord, Elizabeth, her elderly cousin, is pregnant with John the Baptist. And what happens? At the approach of Mary, which is really the approach of Jesus, John, in the womb of Elizabeth, leaps for joy. Why? Because the Lord himself is present. And then Mary breaks out in song, and, and she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Because of the presence of Christ, and what that means in the economy of salvation, she's filled with joy. In Luke chapter 2, the angels say to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy. Why? Because the Lord is born. And on and on it goes. Wherever Jesus is, as a result of his words, as a result of his actions, joy breaks out. Letter A, the lost belong to him. In verse 6, in your gospel reading, when the shepherd comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. The lost belong to the Lord. Therefore, why should we be shy or bashful about praying for them? about speaking to them and encouraging them to come back to the body of Christ, the church. Why would, we, we, why would we be afraid to do that? They belong to him. It's not as if we're trespassing or something when we go and speak to them and invite them to come back. They're the Lord's property. They may have forgotten that, but we're reminded of that in Scripture. Therefore, I encourage you, when you pray for, when you visit someone, when you send a text or an email to someone, you leave a phone message for them, hey, I missed you in church, please come back. Don't be shy, be bold. They're the Lord's property. They are his sheep. Yeah, they may have strayed, 
but they're as much his today as they were then. We're simply there to reclaim what belongs to the Lord already. Number one, our Lord is obsessed with finding us. He's obsessed with it. He seeks until he finds. He doesn't give up until he finds. We saw recently, um, and, and I think it's going to be a, a, a Sunday school class now, on, um, on de-churched young people, reaching out to them, bringing them back into the church. And it was interesting to hear their testimonials. And one after another, they all said the same thing. God never gave up on me. The church never gave up on me. My parents never gave up on me. You see, the search goes on until the person is found. We don't give up. Oh, they may give up on us. We don't give up on them. They belong to the Lord after all. Number two, he values, Jesus values each and every one. Now, if I were the shepherd and I had a hundred sheep and one wandered off, I would probably say, and many of you might say the very same thing, well, we still have 99. You know, maybe we just have to cut our losses, let that one go. I'm here to take care of the 99. That would probably be my attitude, especially if the sheep's been gone for a while. I would say, well, 99% success rate, that's not too bad. But God says 99% success rate is not good enough for me. And it should not be good enough for us because every soul, including yours, matters to God. And so, and please, don't get distracted about, well, what's happening to the 99 while the shepherd is off chasing the one? What's going to happen to them? Is there another shepherd to watch them? We're not told there is. Does the wolf get them? Well, we're not told that either. It doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is not what's happening to the 99. The point is the one that's lost. That's why the parable's told. That's how much you count to God, each and every one of you. And let her be, Jesus personally bears the cost of restoration. He bears the cost of restoration. He puts the sheep, and by the way, in the Greek, this is a full-grown sheep. This isn't a little lamb. You know, in the stained glass windows, you see Jesus carrying the little lamb. Anybody can do that, okay? But, but this is a full-grown sheep that he puts on his shoulders. That's the only way he can carry it. And full-grown sheep weigh a lot. They, they weigh well over 100 pounds, well over 100 pounds. Even ewes, well over 100 pounds. And so that's why on the front of your bulletin, the picture there, this is from the third century. It's early. And, well, okay, the head's knocked off. That always happens with these statues. The tail's knocked off. The guy's nose is knocked off. That always happens. Is there somebody that goes around with a hammer knocking off statues' noses? I don't know, but none of them ever have a nose. 
But notice, it's a big sheep. It's this large, hulking animal that he's carrying. It's difficult to do that. It's heavy. The shepherd pays a heavy price in order to save the sheep. Salvation comes at a price. It's a price that we ourselves cannot pay. We can't find ourselves. We must be found. We are not able to bring ourselves back to the flock. I mean, after all, that's why we ran away. No, he must bring us back. Sin is costly. So if, if I steal something from you, either you must live without it, that's costly, or you must pay to replace it, that's costly as well. Sin always costs. And Jesus is the one who pays the price you and I cannot afford. And that's why the Apostle John wrote, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the satisfaction, the bill payer, for our sins. Roman numeral three, joy must be shared. It must be shared. I pity you if something good happens to you and you have nobody to share the joy with. I pity you. You know the old question, if a tree falls in a forest and there's no one around to hear it, does it make a sound? Well, it depends on how you define sound. If sound is, is uh, sound waves traveling through the air striking the eardrum and there's no eardrums around, there's no sound. In the same way, joy's not complete at all unless there's somebody to share it with. It's a relational thing. It's a relational thing. Letter A, its abundance cannot be confined to one person. It can't be confined to one person. It's terrible when something good happens and you can't find somebody to tell. The joy of heaven, what we see in Scripture again and again, the joy of heaven spills over onto the earth. Number one, earth reflects heaven. God's kingdom, God's reign is all about bringing earth into conformity with heaven. It's about bringing sinners into conformity with God. And this begins with, with what we call justification. Justification is being, it's that act of God by which he declares you righteous and holy in his sight. Not by your works, but through the works of Jesus Christ, through faith in his life, his death, his resurrection. We are justified, we are holy, we are pure in his sight. And that is a prerequisite to sharing his joy. You share his holiness, his righteousness, so that you can sing his praise and share his joy. So number two, joy is relational. It comes about as a result of a relationship a justified relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's relational in this sense. Joy is made to be shared with others. You've got to share it. What do you do with good news? You share it. Letter B, in calling you to pray for and to seek the lost, God is calling you to a life of joy. He's calling you to a life of joy, a life of celebration. You see, the problem today, and this is true with Christians just as with non-Christians, we look for joy in all the wrong places. 
we attempt to manufacture joy. We, we attempt to drum it up by achieving more, by accumulating more, making more money, accumulating more things, uh, becoming more recognized by our peers. But all of that is self-interest. It doesn't produce joy. It just produces a greater desire to achieve and to earn more recognition from others because you're only as good as your last success. It doesn't last. That's why we keep seeking more and more. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It's never enough. It never is because it wasn't meant to resolve and to meet that need. Only the Lord can do that. And true joy comes from the presence of Jesus and from his selfless, saving work. He sought you and found you when you were lost, and he calls you into the joy of seeking and finding others. Now, all of us know people who are lost. I've heard people say, oh, Pastor Armstrong, all my friends are Christians. I don't know anybody that's not a Christian. Now, you're wrong. Just trust me. You're wrong. You do know people who are not Christians. You do know people who aren't even sure of their own salvation. They don't know if they're going to heaven or not. They might. They might not. It all depends. They'll find out on the last day. Well, if you're in that condition, talk to me later, okay? We need to sit down and have a chat. But all of us know people who are not Christians. All of us know people who have disowned Christ in some way, shape, or form, and it breaks our hearts. But Jesus has not disowned them. That's the good news. Not only has he not disowned them, but he actively seeks them until he finds them. Now the woman in our parable lost one coin. She had nine left. That's 90% success rate in retaining what's hers. But it wasn't good enough for her. The shepherd in our parable lost one sheep. He had 99 left. But a 99% success rate was not good enough for him. And I'll tell you this, it's not good enough for Jesus. And remember that. The next time you think about that family member or that friend who has wandered away from the Lord, regaining that lost sheep is our Lord's obsession and it is the Lord's joy. So I encourage you, in closing, to pray for the lost, to seek the lost, encourage them back into the fold, back into the body of Christ. And when they are found, they will be your joy as well. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus, amen.